from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Michael Brunts. That's Brian Christofferson. And it's Tuesday. It's almost the second National Signing Day, National Signing Day Part 2. And we will uh, we'll get that set up for you today. We also have um, a little bit to talk about with Terrence Knighton and Ed Foley yesterday. We got our next Noah's Ark press conference of new assistant coaches they're coming up two by twos, and we're going to discuss them two by two. So, Terrence Knighton, we got pot roast, and we got Ed Foley. Um, I would I would watch a buddy cop show with Terrence Knighton and Ed Foley just to put oh, yeah. that out there. Set in you, Philadelphia, probably. It has to be. Um, or Jersey, I guess you could do Jersey too. Ed Foley was very specific about <laughs> North Jersey and South Jersey. And, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that in a minute here. Uh, just as a reminder, uh, if you don't already, find us on Spotify, on uh, Google Play, on Apple. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. It's free. It's magnificent. And we would appreciate you subscribing there. Also, the Husker 24-7 YouTube channel also available to descri- subscribe to for free. So, with that being said, what would you learn from Pot Roast yesterday? Besides why he's called pot roast. Let's start with him. Well, that was pretty interesting to begin with, how he yeah. got the pot roast name. Um, good thing he didn't pick the uh, shrimp Alfredo. He yeah. the, It came down to basically he ordered pot roast on a plane. And uh, his joking teammate said, you claim that like that's your name, pot roast. So that it became that. And, and here he is today before us. Um, I guess I... I'm struck with him and all the other guys when they talk about it seems like with the Matt rule staff, a lot of them sort of knew him back in Philadelphia when he was at temple in some way or another. And there was sort of an immediate reaction to him that always comes out like in, in Terrence uh, Knighton's case, I believe it was his sophomore year at temple when rule showed up there as a D line coach. And he talked about how like right away there was just this thing about him with like the urgency, like with every, there's an urgency about everything you do, you know, like uh, I I, kind of take that as like a pride or competitiveness in everything you do, whether you're in the classroom or or you're going out in the community, you're going to do it to the best of your abilities or if you're on the field. And um, just the way he spoke about that, I thought was, was pretty um, interesting. And then, you know, also I think that, the, the line people are going to like is when he says, you know, when I was young, Nebraska was the Alabamas, the Georgias. That's what we're trying to get them to be. And then all these guys say this, they say, that's what they deserve to be. And um, it's just talk in the off season, but that's all we can do right now is guys talk. We quote it and people get kind of excited. And I do think there's a staff of guys who very much appreciate the fabric of this program and like how it was great once and like the, 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 
the structure is seemingly kind of there to like make it really good again, at least. Um, and they get to be a part of that. And there's like an excitement about like, there's something with history that people care a lot about that I can have my um, say in. And I, I think that comes out when guys talk. Yeah. It's funny too. I mean, Terrence Knighton is a couple of years younger than me. Um, and it feels like we're kind of getting to that inflection point where pretty soon coaches aren't going to be able to say that. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so it still is noteworthy when they say it. Um, it's good that they recognize that. I think it's, uh, it's like a, it's like a warm cup of soup on a really, uh, blustery January day for Nebraska fans. I, I was, uh, kind of going back through his audio from yesterday and it's been kind of fascinating to, I guess, listen to what the coaches think about the groups that they're inheriting. And with Terrence Knighton, you're going to be playing a kind of different, you know, defensive system than what you saw last year, than what a lot of these guys were recruited to. But my sense from listening to the defensive staff, and, and we've heard from Evan Cooper so far, we've heard from Tony White, we've heard from Terrence Knighton. There's still a lot that they've got to get figured out there. Um, you know, he was kind of asked about, you know, what, what Tony White looks for, you know, what, what those kinds of, you know, what they've talked about. And, you know, I think people need to remember that these coaches haven't been around each other a ton. And especially the ones that aren't, you know, kind of of that temple tree um, and, and Tony White's not. So, they, I think that's going to be fascinating in February when these guys finally sit down in the same room together, start talking X's and O's and moving pieces around and seeing how guys move and that kind of stuff and workouts and figuring out how this is going to work. I mean, I, that's going to be interesting to me in the spring is, you know, Tony White's got to kind of teach his stuff to these coaches and they've got to in turn teach that to the players. So there's a lot of work to be done there, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, as much as this is a very much a family staff for the most part that's been together, you do have that key, that really key part of your DC is is fairly fresh to everybody, you know. So it it, it I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And and he runs a scheme that's maybe different than they they knew a little bit. And you got to figure out your personnel too. We've heard so much about how, you know, Tony White's um, three three five is. Um, bendable i guess you know to sort of what your your roster makeup is but you're still trying to figure out how much depth do we really have on the d line that that's what they're saying you know how much how many really solid linebackers can we count on i was just sort of looking at the d line again today bruns who's on the roster and there's all sorts of fun guys coming in there's not a lot coming back (laughs) and there's really not i mean uh Ty, ty robinson's back and uh, Stefan Wynn, but I think, yes, Hotmocker. And then I, I might be leaving someone out who played some meaningful snaps, but I think that's the main guys. And then, you know, I think the loss of Feist is going to be tough, actually. And uh, the loss of obviously Nelson, whatever, he's an edge guy. But I, I understand that some of the edge defenders they brought in are going to fit into that piece of the puzzle with what they do up front on the defensive line. So you can't just separate the interior guys from them, but that is, if I were to say what's one of my big worry points right now about this team, it's still like the D line. And like, if they've got the dudes to actually hold up in this league, 
no matter how excited we are about all the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. The Terrence Knighton said yesterday, the thing that they kind of have to get figured out is in that three, three, five, if you're bringing up somebody to make it a four man front, they've got to figure out who that fourth guy is. Is it a defensive lineman? Is it an edge rusher? Is it more of a Rover or a, a smaller linebacker? So, I mean, that that's a big, that's a big piece of kind of how the three, three, five is bendable within, you know, based on who you're, who you're playing. I mean, that that's how Iowa state runs it differently than how Syracuse ran it or how San Diego state did, or I guess Mississippi state uh, as well. Um, so that that's going to be, you know, combing through the personnel and, and figuring out what they have. Um, what did you kind of make, I guess, of um, we, we've heard from a couple different assistants. And, and I think when you start hearing something multiple times, it becomes a little bit of a, OK, I, I need to file that one away. But he's talked a lot about the competitive competitiveness of this coaching staff. It seems like that that's kind of what Matt Rule is trying to construct is this staff of young kind of hungry coaches. Um, mm-hmm. that are okay with competing with one another in, in whatever it might be. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Um, the, I thought Knighton's had the line of the day um, where he said, you don't want to be the weak link, you know, and especially that's the advantage I do think of having some younger guys on staff is – it doesn't matter if you're coaching football or it's in any career when you're like in your, you know, late twenties to early thirties and Garrett McGuire's case, I guess, early twenties. Um, there's sort of that. I got to prove it, you know, like you, you just like, I got to put my feet in the ground and show that I, this is where I belong and I, I'm meant to do this. And I'm not saying those guys don't believe they're meant for it, but there is for a, some of them, it's sort of their first big full time, assistance job so no doubt there's going to be that like desire to like show everyone like i can i can handle all the different facets that go with being a college assistant coach not just on the field stuff but recruiting that's where knighton's been interesting because he really doesn't have a deep recruiting background i mean he coached two years at wagner and then uh went to carol the carolina panthers for a couple years and yet you would have to say his first couple months on the job, he's made an impression with guys. I mean, he, he definitely is active and uh, especially in the Houston area and um, is, is had some what's seemingly success um, for a guy who's really very new to recruiting. And that I tried to ask him a question about that the other day, like, where did you pick, you know, cause he, some guys have like a mentor or somebody they pick stuff up from where they build to that point as a recruiter in his case, I think it's just built from he can talk about like his NFL career, you know, and all he knows from eight years in, in the league. And um, also just being around rule staff, like I think as a as a player in that part I mentioned earlier about the urgency and accountability that's within the program. And so he knows the basic tenets to to preach about what a rural team is like. And that's probably useful in the living rooms for him, even though he's fairly new at it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he's done a really nice job. And he's done it in a, a number of different places, too. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, he's basically set up shop, it seems like, in Houston the last couple of weeks, um, you know, all around that area. Um, you know, he was able to get Kai Wallen uh, out of Sacramento. I mean, he he and Omar Hales were kind of the driving force 
uh, early on and, and pulling Nebraska to the front of that race. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think he just kind of has that personality that you, you kind of naturally gravitate towards. And, oh, by the way, it doesn't hurt that he played uh, a number of years in the NFL and was pretty darn productive while he was there, too. Um, we also heard from Ed Foley. We got almost a half hour of Ed Foley. Um, Ed wanted to make sure we didn't have anywhere to be and, and just started talking Philly sports with us. And um, we can kind of get to that. Two things. I mean, the big thing of kind of his month has been the social media tour of uh, Nebraska. I think he's been to more high schools than most people uh, in the state have been to. Um, and also they're going to be aggressive on special teams. That That's a, to, to hear that they're going to try to return punts and kicks. It's like, like mind blowing. You, do you think they can get it done? Cause I always go back to what Mike Riley said, like, you know, that it's just in, in uh, today's college football, it's just so hard to, to return punts unless you just have like a, a transcendent player back there. Mm. The return conversation is always pretty interesting that way because Mike Riley was, he was right. Um, if you think about, if you actually go through every year, go to like whatever your college football stats pages that you use and look at like what the teams had punt return yardage wise, there's always like 25 to 30 teams that maybe I think it's like have 200 yards or, you know, 175 plus yards of punt returns. And the rest of the country doesn't like, I mean, most, the majority of teams don't even get to that. It's more like around a hundred yards or something like that. So I think sometimes we do this around here where things seem really fresh to us. Like Pearson is just like yesterday, we saw him returning a punt against Fresno state or something. And you're kind of in your mind, like, why can't they do that again? Well, that was like a record breaking season. So I guess I'd start there and then just say somewhere in the middle would be nice. Like somewhere of like, not the Panico era. And that wasn't Santino's fault by the way, but he was just a fair catch guy, but we've seen other guys like him. Um, where their job is just catch the ball, secure it, go back. Um, a little more than that, please, but also not expecting it to be personnel, you know, like if you could get 200 yards or something. And then I think you would feel this way too about the kick returns, Bruns. I'm more and more becoming in that camp where it's like, wave your hand, take the ball to 25. Like once in a while you want to break it, and I understand that. But the allure of it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a siren. It's a siren out there that's calling you, and it's, it's, it's not good. It's not what you want, because um, a lot of times what we see around here is a guy gets snowed under at the 17 yard line. I just said this on a radio show. I think that eight to 10 yards is one of the biggest in football. Like it when, because if you start at like the 16 yard line, yep. and you get a first down to like the 29, you're like still kind of starting the drive. If you're on the 25 and you get that first down to get it going, you're maybe at the like 40 yard line. You're like, all right, we're yeah. going, you know, you kind of, you're on that spot on the field where it's like points. You're thinking points now. And uh, that, that 10 yards is huge. And also we're not even counting when you get a penalty on a kicker turn, which happens half the time, put you on the five yard line. And those are killers in the big 10. I mean, that's the difference between winning and losing. You start a drive there, punt, give them points, you lose. 
So I think you got to be really strategic about this and think about it with the kicker turn game. I think we just found the second segment of your clock management podcast. It's it's kickoff <laughs> kickoff return decision making. That that's your segue. We've talked yeah. enough about time about time management. Now we're going to get into kickoff decision making, and that's that to me has been the biggest sin the last few years is just knowing when to not bring it out. Like I always just go back to what uh, I guess what now Denver Post writer Parker Gabriel always used to say. You know they give it to you on the twenty-five. Like that—that's all you got to do is catch it. So, mm-hmm. um, that—that uh, that'll be a fascinating juxtaposition to see how Nebraska actually does that. Ed Foley also, you know, kind of said that it's—it's it's not you're not trying to do it like two or three times a game, but if there's like three plays that you can bust in the in the course of a season, like those are are difference yeah. makers. And think about. Think about the last few years, not maybe not last year, but the years before that, where you can point to like three or four special teams plays that Nebraska gave up that were just like the difference between a bowl game and and sitting at home um, in, in December. So I, I think that's where he's correct is that, you know, if you can you can block a punt or two or, you know, you can bust a long return, you know, in a, in a big game. I mean, that that's huge. So I, it's a. Uh, it's a balancing act, but um, oh, Nebraska has been on the wrong side of that coin way too long. Oh, it's a heck of a balancing act because think about your kick return guys who are back there usually. And this is what would make you a great kick returner is you have the mindset like I'm going to the house, you know, like that's the kind of guy you want back there. So he's getting the ball at like the one yard line or whatever. And he's not thinking like, okay, it's on the 25. He's thinking I I'm going to make them play the fight song here in 10 seconds. And um, so you got that dynamic of that type of guy who's back there. So it does take a special, I think a special player, not just in skill, but like in uh, like game, game understanding. (laughs) Yeah. Like to just like in that moment, be like, Nope, not now you're, you're better angel on this shoulders. Like, no, no, no. You're going to get hit at the 17. You've done this before. You know what's going to happen or someone's going to block in the back. I mean, that's where the most penalties in football seem to happen is like on kick and punt returns. And so it feels like even when someone has a good return, and I'm not just talking about Nebraska, watch any game, you're kind of like looking around like, okay, is there a flag waiting for the, waiting for it to come back? So um, I do like the idea, though. Nowadays it feels like people are finding their aggression and block punts. Like you're, it does seem to me, I don't have the data on this, but it feels like we're seeing that more and more like in the college and pro game where people are drawing stuff up and they're getting home to Nebraska did it a few times last year. That was an area of improvement where you would hope they could build on. They got to clean up their blocking a little cause they gave up a couple too. So that'll be a big key on the block punt part. Can you make that like a plus three or four block punt situation this year, as opposed to like a break even, which I think it might've been by the end when they you waved the pros and cons, they might've had a couple more. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that was just a, that was just a change of aggression, basically. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was just Bill Bush saying, we're going to go and we're going to try and block a punt. And I agree. I mean, I, I think if you, there seems to be enough out there that you can kind of assess trends and, and, 
you know, how teams block things that you can kind of take advantage of that. So we'll see if Nebraska can do that. Um, the other, the other last thing with Ed Foley, uh, he talked about Tristan Alvano, um, the, the 23 West side kicker signee, um, who made some huge kicks in the state title game, mm. uh, in, in 23 or in, uh, this, this past fall. Um, Seems like that might be an open competition with Timmy Bleak Road um, once Alvano gets on campus in the summer. Yeah, it does. Um, it should be. I mean, it, it's not a position where it's not like D line where you know you got to have certain measurables right away to be able to play in this league. You know, can you just kick it through the uprights? And um, the thing Ed Foley said with kicking. Um, is it's quantifiable. It's like, here it is. Here's the numbers. We And he, he said one thing Matt Rule does is he goes – it sounded like basically goes live with field goals where they're actually running into each other on the lines and giving the kicker that look, which I think is probably a big deal, um, you know, as opposed to sometimes at practices the guys in the line don't really collide. They sort of stand there and um, the guy kicks it. Everybody looks up, and it's not like the real game-like deal. So – I kind of like that if that's something they do. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I suspect it should be an open competition because uh, Alvano um, showed, like, he, he was one of the top two recruits or one or two in the country at his position. And I don't think this staff would have just offered a kicker, especially with Bleak Road already in the system, um, if they didn't think he was incredibly special. Um, which he has been, and he showed it to everybody. I, I don't know if I can recall a player as much as him where after a state title game within the state's borders, people were just like, got to get that guy. You know, like it, it was amazing, like the reaction to his performance in that championship game. Yeah, well, I mean, you went, you make a walk-off field goal the way that he did and with that kind of pressure, uh, you know, the other field goals that he made, um, couple that with Nebraska's uh, – I mean, let's be honest, hot and cold um, kicking situation during the frost era. I think that that kind of made a lot of sense. I mean, it was a, it, I guess it was an offer that I, that Matt Rule staff didn't have to honor, but I mean, it, it, this is a guy that's, you know, got offers from Boston mm. college, Iowa had their preferred walk on uh, offer. Like you, you kind of, he became a must get. And it, it's not often you say that about a kicker or a punter. Think if he's a, Think if he's in an Iowa uniform, making up forty-eight yarder on you at the end of a yeah. game, that would just, Wait, just waving it, waving at the sideline. Yeah, that would crush uh, it. <laughs> so we're gonna have uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Tomorrow is the second national signing day, uh, the spring signing period, whatever you want to call it. National signing day. Um, there's going to be some guys who are going to join Tristan Alvano in this class who are, uh, are already committed. There's one decision, um, with Nebraska implications coming tomorrow. 
Um, so, so right now the hard, the guys who are committed, who plan to sign tomorrow, Demetrius Bell, Ismail Smith, Flores, Sula Fotu, and Jeremiah Charles. Um, we have a decision coming from Regis Jesuit defensive back, uh, Deandre Barnes. He visited this past weekend. What, I guess, what do you kind of make of what Nebraska has done in this January period where they've kind of done a lot of work getting ready for 24, but they've also, you know, kind of filled in here and there with, with good, good athletes and, and guys that can help them in certain spots. Well, if you look at the guys they have added through commits, Marcus Satterfield, when he was before the media a few weeks ago, he was asked, like, what's the position group of need right now? And uh, he mentioned wide receiver. And uh, I know people think they've got, like, they do have a lot of numbers there now. But um, clearly, they want to really beef up that competition and um, get some different variety at that position. And I feel like, uh, I feel like that's what they've done. Uh, you know, with Bell, Smith floors and Charles, um, you've all got guy. I don't know. Bell's maybe not as raw Smith floors and Charles are, are raw football players. Uh, they're in that sort of Bryce Turner camp. So it'll be interesting. Uh, if what I think we've said this before, or I've said it on here, but if like one of those guys who's a speed speed demon on the outside can show up and just be like kind of a niche, you know, that guy who gets like six catches during the season, but a couple of them are like sidebars on a Saturday where he has a 58 yard touchdown or something. You'd wonder if there's a guy like that in this pack that's signing tomorrow, if someone could emerge, even though they're going to be later arrivals, um, that could be a tough task, but that's what you wonder. And then uh, Sue Lofotu, I'll swing that to you, Bruns, but multiple guys in California for the first time since, what, 2018. Tony White's got some um, say in that state with recruiting. Um, I think that is at least a sign of what could happen out west in future recruiting classes where you get a couple guys there. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, – I was. I guess I was surprised that it when you kind of dig in that it had been since 2018 since you had – two guys from out there uh, or multiple guys in the class. But I mean, Nebraska had kind of abandoned out there um, if we're being honest, just, just with, uh, you know, you saw some offers here or there, but you know, Tony, Tony Tuioti really wasn't able to make a ton of a dent, ton of dent there. And um, you know, I, I think with this staff focusing so much on the 500 mile radius, you got a lot of focus on Texas and, and that's not going to change, but I think Tony White can leverage contacts and, and find guys like Sulafotu, who kind of a late late bloomer, late riser. He had some some injury issues early in his high school career. He comes from a really good program, and if you pull you know two or three guys out of that state every year, I, I think that that that's a good recipe. Um, you know, actually, the Big Ten has not recruited particularly well. Uh, for, for the kind of top guys in California in recent years. I'm curious to see how that changes when UCLA and USC join the conference. But, um, you know, from talking to high school guys or high school coaches that uh, we talked to a lot uh, during the whole Calabrasca thing, they have a lot of respect for Tony White and what he can do out there. So um, I, I think that was a good example maybe of, of what Nebraska, um, you know, might try to do going forward, especially once Tony White has some more, 
chances to get out there and, and really evaluate because he was kind of up against the clock a little bit here. It's interesting the different perspectives you'll hear from coaches in the college game on recruiting California. Um, you know, it is a place where I think you want to have somebody who can get you in here and there. I think you got to be careful to not spin your wheels out there too much. Um, now, I don't think they will with Tony White because he's going to he's going to know exactly where he wants to go and have his like you say, his, his certain links that you kind of lean on. Um, which can help you from doing that. But I remember the previous staff, uh, well, it was Mickey who said it. Um, he said, like, even at LSU, some of the, they had, a, they had difficulty with California guys sometimes. Cause they like, it's not California. They, they're right. sort of like, they're just like, a, a, it, and I'm not saying that as a knock. It's just like when they, it's completely different um, wherever they're going than, than where they've been. <laughs> And um, some some guys have had difficulty adjusting to it. So you, you get hot and cold takes on what it's like to recruit there. But I do like getting a couple, you know, like uh, a class if if they're the if you feel like you've got the right evals on people. Yeah, definitely. I, and uh, to kind of go down the line a little bit more on, on guys, um, DeAndre Barnes visited this past weekend. Uh, more of a defensive back, I think, um, based on you know, kind of what he's done production wise and how he profiles, but um, kind of similar to some of the other late additions, kind of a toolsier guy. He's a, the 200 uh, meter state champion in Colorado last year, um, you know, really good track speed. So uh, he kind of, you know, fits along the lines of a lot of guys that Nebraska has signed and will sign um, in this class. We'll kind of see what his decision is tomorrow, but um, you know, I, I think when you kind of combine those guys, the 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 four that they have in, in the boat right now, um, with with what they did transfer portal wise, because I think that's kind of been the bulk of the work during this January period is kind of raiding Georgia's transfer portal cupboard, I guess. But um, you know, they, they've they've got a mix of guys that might help you a little bit down the road. They've got the portal guys that can help you right away and fill in some gaps and. I mean that that was the the stated goal um, for for the staff. They didn't they didn't host a big junior day during January. They wanted to get twenty twenty three figured out, get the portal stuff figured out, and you know to spin it forward. Once we get into March, I think that's when you're going to see a lot more of the twenty four, twenty five type guys on campus and uh, looking around closely at Nebraska during spring practices. Yeah, I mean they've built up a a healthy roster to now put the football out there and let, let's see what you got. There's going to be movement after the spring again, and you can try to fill a need or two in the portal again. Um, but um, they, they covered a lot of ground, I would say, in, in two months. It's amazing. What are they going to – if if Barnes commits or signs, let's see, they have 23 who have signed out of high school in JUCO, four who are committed – uh, Barnes would be five and 11 portal guys. So he would be what number 39 as far as roster additions. That's pretty incredible. Yep. That's uh, nearly half your roster and a lot of guys. Um, <laughs> I, I, th I think it's safe to say that a lot of guys in the spring are going to be looking around, um, you know, who they're competing with because you're going to have to cut some guys or guys are going to have to move on. It'll happen. The numbers will work themselves out, but it's going to be, uh, 
a lot of guys going out the door right away, um, or at least not right away, but um, during that second portal period. Yeah, and I think people, I do think people around here have adjusted to the new way of college football. You know, there used to be such a sky is falling when there was like any transfer stuff, and now it's. I mean, if it's like an Ernest Hausman, yeah, that's a big deal. But um, now people kind of take it for what it is. I was also thinking, um, like a DeAndre Barnes and like his track numbers. They're they're gonna have to make a. You know, there's like that gif of Popovich like running through the hall, like to get a a European player. You yeah. have to be one with like rule, like running, running, like for a, somebody who has like track measurables in the 100 and 200 that, that line up high in his state. There, there was the, the Belichick binoculars one too. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that needs to be going too. Yeah. So they, they covered a lot of ground in, in the last month. Um, we covered some ground today um, <laughs> on, on the, uh, on the podcast. We'll have another one later this week, maybe an appearance from, the wheel. We'll see how that goes. Uh, if I can drag it out of the basement. Um, but for, uh, for Brian Christopherson, I'm Michael Bruns. This is the Husker 24 seven podcast. Get to the site uh, for a couple days only. We've got a 60% off an annual subscription deal going. Uh, so hop on that. We'll have full signing day coverage on Wednesday. Matt rule talks at 2 PM. I'm sure that next week after that, we'll have uh, more Noah's Ark assistant uh, interviews and uh, yeah. Get to Husker 24-7 for all your Husker coverage.